For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. a tribute to Gloria Gaither. She wrote, Jesus, the mere mention of his name can calm the storm, heal the broken, raise the dead. At the name of Jesus, I've seen sin hardened, man melted, transformed, the light of hope put in the eyes of a hopeless child. At the name of Jesus, hatred and bitterness turn to love and forgiveness. Arguments cease. I've heard a mother softly breathe his name at the bedside of a child delirious from fever. And I've watched as that little body grew quiet and fevered brow cooled. And I've sat beside the dying saint, her body racked with pain, with these final fleeting sounds summoned an ounce of her epic strength to whisper the sweetest name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophers have tried to stamp it out. Tyrants have tried to wash it from the very face of the earth with the very uh, blood of those who claim it. Yet, it still stands. And there shall be that final day when every voice that has ever uttered a sound, every voice of Adam's race will raise in one mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For that day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord. You see, it was not mere chance that caused an angel one night long ago to say to a virgin maiden, his name shall be called Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Like the free. 
Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you, and we worship you for your greatness and your glory. And what a wonderful, wonderful time it was just to whisper the name of Jesus. So Jesus, we, we thank you, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Father God, we praise and thank you. Be with us here, triune God, in our service with this gathering of your saints. Fill us, teach us, direct us, heal us, um, uh, give us a heart, uh, give us your heart for this world and uh, for our nation and for one another. We praise and thank you that you are God forever and that we have an opportunity to come today and bow at your throne and worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Ever been to a surprise birthday party? Oh my, I went to one yesterday. The husband did such a good job of keeping everything hidden from his wife's 70th birthday surprise. Um, God's revelation. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalms 119.89. What does revelation mean? It means something has been hidden, is now made known. If it isn't revealed, it remains hidden. Some people see God's way um, as hidden and unknown. Such a review uh, or such a view assumes that God doesn't want it to be known or even that God is incapable of being known because God is a vague, impersonal force like gravity. But God himself revealed himself. He is not hidden. He has spoken to us. And if we listen, we can not only discover what he is like, but we also can come to know him in a personal way. God has two textbooks. The one textbook is of nature. By looking at the world, we can learn something about the creator. The other textbook of Revelation is the Bible. It is more than an ancient record of events. It is God's word given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's where you can say amen. <laughs> God has spoken and he still speaks. Are you listening? The hope for today, it's, it's God's desire that all would come to know him and to be saved. Praise him that he doesn't hide himself from anyone. Through his written word and through his creation, God is still reaching out to each of us in a personal way. And all God's people said. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd and my song. He has become my salvation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you'd like to stand and join us. your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the debts of Sheol.
Scripture this morning is Psalm 111, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will forever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments and praise endures forever. Amen. Now may we pray the 23rd Psalm together. You, Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house, O Lord, forever. Amen. Let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. If you'd like to stand.
Should have, I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, I thought it was funny when it was just, I have decided, and Ray said she just wanted the men to sing that because we all know better. Uh, <laughs> Our gospel reading today is from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their wage, they received their, their pay. I'm sorry, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. You join me now in the responsive reading. Holy God, mighty and immortal, you are beyond our knowing. Yet we see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ, whose compassion illumines the world. 
Transform us into the likeness of the love of Christ, who renewed our humanity, so that we may share in his divinity. The same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you give us so much. You've created everything. You show us the beauty of your creation and you share it with us. But when that sharing, you call back, you call to give back. You call for us to share also, to share that same beauty. And that, that beauty is life with you. Lord, so we ask that the gifts that we give, that they be used to show others what it is to be part of your family. A glorious and joyous time is had for all. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised us a life that shall endless be. 
Lord, teach us how to enjoy that life right now, right here, right now. Your joys are eternal. Help us take it in. Help us live what we believe, Father. And speak to us this morning. Every word of your truth, etch it on our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When you study the lyrics of the hymn we just heard, you can't help but think that St. Paul himself could have written it. If you're familiar with St. Paul's epistles, this hymn reads like a bio of his life. It has the same tenor, the same passion as his epistles. But it was written by a Scottish vicar in the Argyle, Scotland, in the summer of 1882. However, if Paul had penned his epistle in Shakespearean sonnet, they would read like this grand old hymn. Paul was familiar with suffering. He did not despise or reject it. In fact, he embraced it, as we should. To Paul, suffering for Christ was an honor and a privilege. Over and over again, Paul tells us that suffering is part of the Christian's life. He reminds us that it was certainly part of Jesus' life. And how did Jesus view suffering? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We take a big step forward in our life of faith when we can view suffering in our lives as part of God's providence in our lives. And a giant step forward when we can receive it with joy. Suffering is one of the marvelous ways in which God grows our faith. So let's explore the lyrics of this hymn this morning. Slide one, please. O oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. Paul gave back to Jesus the sum total of his life. In every beating he suffered, every hardship, every betrayal, Paul was all too happy to atone for his persecution of the church. When Paul said, for me to live is Christ, that's what he wanted etched on his tombstone. That in thine ocean depths its flow may richer fuller be. When we decide like Paul to live and move and have our being in the deep end of God's ocean. When we decide to truly live in the flow of God's Holy Spirit. Our lives do indeed become richer, fuller. In Christ and bolder for Christ. O light that follows all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. The only torch we have is the torch the Lord has given us, and that is His Word. And the only blaze that you and I can muster is to reflect that blaze. Reflect the life and love of the Lord Jesus. So like Paul, we should say, blaze on, Lord Jesus. Blaze on in me. O joy that seeks me through pain, you need to write this down and scotch tape it to your refrigerator door this week. You need to think on it. Oh, joy that seeks me through pain. Whatever your pain, 
be it physical, mental, or spiritual. God is seeking to give you His joy through your suffering. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. The morn shall tearless be. We need to feel the promises of God. We need to use all our senses to taste them, to hear them, to see them come to fruition through faith. Feel the promise. What promise? The ultimate promise of God is our eternal salvation. The morn shall tearless be. What morn? The morn in which we pass from death to eternal life. It will not only be tearless, but also penultimate glory. And I know you're saying, okay, preacher, that's a $10 word. What's penultimate mean? Penultimate means next to last. How many of us perceive our death to be glory? Our death will be the glory next to last. The glory that precedes eternal glory. A friend of mine passed into eternal glory this past Wednesday. He suffered with MS most of his life. He died in his sleep. Glory be to God. He went to sleep in this world and awakened in God's great heaven. And that, my friends, is what we call glory to glory. O cross that lifteth up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. We never, never turn our back on the cross. I lay in dust life's glory dead. And from the ground there blossoms red. When we bury our self-life, it dies. And the blossoms that come up through the dirt is the red, red blood of Christ. Life shall endless be. I lay in dust, life's glory dead. In other words, all the glory this life has to offer, I bury it deep in the dust because it's dead to me. There is no glory but God's glory. And Jesus explains it this way. Slide two. From John 12, 24 through 26 from the message. This is Jesus speaking. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to this life destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves God's love for us is all or nothing. When your life is dead to the world, you become alive to Christ. Jesus expects us to love him in the same way he loves, expects you to love him in the same way he loves us. All or nothing. Slide three. Matthew 16. 25 through 26 from the Living Bible. For anyone who keeps his life for himself shall lose it. And anyone who loses his life for me shall find it again. 
What profit is there if you gain the whole world and lose eternal life? What can be compared with the value of eternal life? Slide four. I've been teaching on Philippians for the past two weeks. Uh, we're going to stay in Philippians for a while. There's much to learn. St. Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians near the zenith of his ministry. Philippians has been called a treatise on joy. But it could easily be called a treatise on wisdom. But wisdom is joy. To give you a sense of place and time, I've incorporated a map. Paul was imprisoned in Rome from A.D. 60 to A.D. 62. This was his first imprisonment in Rome. It is believed to be the time that he wrote his letter to the Philippians. He was released from prison in A.D. 62. And during the next four years, he carries the gospel of Jesus Christ to Spain, to the island of Crete, and back again to Macedonia. Paul is known personally to Nero. They've met. Paul appeared before Nero when he was initially imprisoned in Rome. It is believed that Paul encountered Nero again in Nicopolis of Macedonia at the Actium Games in AD 66. That would be the red dot you see there, Nicopolis. The Actian Games were an offshoot of the original Greek Olympics. Now Nero was a megalomaniac, and he wanted to participate in these games. Everyone was afraid of Nero, so they rigged every event so that he would win everything he entered. We don't know exactly how Paul encountered Nero during these games, but we do know that shortly thereafter, Paul is arrested, sent to Rome, and imprisoned at this time in Mamertine Prison. Mamertine Prison was reserved for the worst of Rome's enemies. It was reserved for those on death row. Nero had Paul beheaded in A.D. 67. Much of the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ is centered on Paul's imprisonment in Mamertine. It's an excellent movie. You should watch it. But let's retrace our steps back to A.D. 62. Not long before Paul is released from his first imprisonment, and just before he begins his missionary journey to Spain, Paul writes this to the Philippians. Slide five, please. Philippians 1, 20 through 30 from the message. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurate known, regardless of whether I live or die. Friends, all your trials and tribulations make Jesus more accurately known. Why? Because people are watching. The moment you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you attract a lot of attention. People are watching. They may be watching to see if you trip up, to see if you're as good as the gold you say you are. But they are particularly interested in how you handle pain and suffering. Verse 21, didn't shut me up, they gave me a pulpit. Hallelujah. Those who originally had Paul thrown in prison, and even Nero, did not have the last word. They gave Paul a platform. Alive, I'm in 
I am Christ's messenger. Dead, I am his bounty. Life versus even more life. I can't lose. I'm God's bounty. What's Paul saying here? Paul's face was on every wanted poster throughout the Roman Empire. From Greece to Macedonia, from Jerusalem to Rome. But when Nero had Paul beheaded, the bounty for Paul's head is paid to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes out in a blaze of glory. Glory to God. In life and death, his life was a glory to God. Slide six, please. Verse 22. As long as I'm alive in this body, there is good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which I'd choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you are going through, I am sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around for a while, a companion to you as you grow and joy, as your growth and joy in this life of trusting God continues. If you don't have joy in your life, you're either not trusting God or you're not doing anything. You're not pushing back the darkness because when you push back the darkness, you are blessed with joy. Verse 26, you can start looking for a great reunion when I come visit you again. We'll be praising Christ and enjoying each other. If we're not enjoying the fellowship we have with each other, we're not doing this thing called church right. The more we grow in Christ, the more our joy will grow, personally and as a church. Slide 7. Verse 27. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come to visit you or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. We don't just contend for our faith. We contend for everyone's faith. Everyone. We're going to talk about that next week. I was in the dentist's office this past Thursday, and the hygienist who was cleaning my teeth asked me, so what do you do? I answered, I'm the pastor of Desert Gardens Presbyterian. She said, oh. Oh. About halfway through my cleaning, she says, your bottom teeth are crooked, and I, I know that makes it hard to floss, but you need to do a better job. I said, okay. No promises, but I'll try. And then I said, you know, I can't wait for heaven and perfect teeth. She was aghast. I, I mean, she was taken aback. She said, oh, no, 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 heaven can wait. You've, uh, you've got a lot to do. I thought to myself, I didn't say I was going to commit suicide. I said, I can't wait for heaven. But I agreed with her. Yes, I do. I do have a lot to do, as we all do. But I very much got the impression that heaven can wait was her mantra. It seems she only considered heaven as a dreaded end, a place you go when all your options run out. And that's the point. Eventually, all our options do run out. 
And if the options you've chosen are all about you, what you want, what you desire, and not what pleases God, then all those very temporary pleasures you spend so much time and energy pursuing, which are worthless in eternity, my, my, what do you have? When all your options run out and you've chosen not to follow Jesus, what do you have? Brendan Manning, the former Catholic priest, he's written a wonderful book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. But he now preaches the Reformed Gospel. He has said this, I am utterly convinced that on the judgment day, the Lord Jesus will ask us one question and one question only. Did you really believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day? That I longed to hear the sound of your voice? The real believers will answer, Yes, Lord Jesus, I believed in your love. And I tried to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who are so faithful to our ministry, to the practice of our faith, to our church going, are going to have to reply, well, frankly, no, Lord, I, I never really truly believed it. Oh, I heard some wonderful sermons and teachings about it. But I guess I just always considered it a kindly lie. I tried to talk the way I thought Christians were supposed to talk, to act the way Christians are supposed to act. And this is the difference between the real believers, the real Christ followers, and the nominal Christians, the Christians in name only that abound all over this land. The question this morning is this, are you a real Christian? Or are you a Christian in name only? Do you walk the walk? Do you truly follow Jesus? Or do you just talk the talk? In verse 28, Paul tells us what real believers do. Your courage and unity will show the opposition, will show the enemy what he's up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more in this life than just trusting in Christ. You can trust in Christ in your easy chair watching television in the shallow end of God's ocean. But if you're out there actively pushing back the darkness, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Verse 29. Here's another one you can put on your refrigerator door. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. Back the truck up. Did you catch that? Suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. How many of us see it that way? How many of us are willing to live that out? You see, there's another level to following Christ that a lot of Christians never attain. It's called suffering for the kingdom. We pray for missionaries like Jeff Woodkey and Andrew Brunson, but would we want to be them? Slide 8, please. Acts 20, verses 22 through 24 from the Living Bible. Paul writes this on his third and last missionary journey. And now I am going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. Does that sound familiar? Christ turned his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Not knowing what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But life is worth nothing 
unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. In my past two sermons, I've given you a brief review of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, but today I want us to go deeper. Paul's letter to the Philippians has a central thought, and it's simple. Only in Christ are we going to find real unity. Unity with Christ, unity with each other. And the joy in our purpose as a church. Jesus promised us in John 10.10, He said, I have come so that all who believe in me may have life and have it to the full. The King James says that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Abundantly, the Greek word is parasos, and it means superabundance, excessive, overflowing, surplus, more than enough, profuse, extraordinary, life more abundant. How many of us here this morning can say our life is extraordinary? Paul doesn't tell us we can be happy or how to be happy. He simply and unmistakably is happy. And his happiness transcends emotion. His happiness is a byproduct of joy. Joy is not an emotion. It is a state of mind, a state of soul. Slide 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 through 9 from the NIV. Though you have not seen Christ, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The King James says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The joy of your salvation will make you happy. But the joy of your salvation remains even when happiness does not. If you are persecuted for your faith, if you suffer for your faith, will you be happy? Probably not. But you'll still have the joy of your salvation. When I've been persecuted by my, uh, for my faith, I've even had my family turn against me, the people who are supposed to love you, no matter what. I can't say I was happy. But I do remember the joy of my salvation coming to the fore. None of Paul's circumstances contributed to his joy. He wrote from a jail cell. The gospel he preached was under constant attack by jealous competitors. And after 30 years of grueling travel, after all the beatings he took, and the constant rejection, all in the service of Jesus. He was tired. He was weary. I don't think there was a lot of happiness, but there was certainly the joy of his salvation. Jesus was first and foremost in modeling for us a life filled with joy, regardless of the circumstances. And I want you to think on this. The life of Christ did not happen only in first century Palestine. The life of Jesus has continued to happen through the centuries and continues to happen this very day. It happens every time a wayward soul says, okay, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of living my life my way. 
It doesn't work. Now I want to live life your way. Take the wheel, Lord Jesus. This life is yours. Jesus in our lives spills out from our lives into the lives of others and then continues to spill out everywhere we go. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God and that revelation cannot be contained. 300 billion galaxies cannot contain the joy of the Lord. But he took on the status of a slave and allowed himself to be restricted to the confines of the human body. The quality of Christ's life in yours is the quality of joy. The measure of joy in your life is the measure of how much Jesus is in your life. Specifically, how much room you have given him in your heart. Your heart is the great house of God. But if you've confined him to a closet in your house, you need to do some remodeling. You need to kick out some walls. You need to kick out all the walls. The house of God in your heart should be just that, a house and not a closet. Joy is life in excess. The overflow of what cannot be contained with any one person. That's why the worldwide church of Jesus Christ is called the body of Christ. Jesus is joy. A joy that cannot be contained. If you continue to keep squeezing Jesus into the corners and crevices of your heart, eventually you will succeed in squeezing him out of your heart. And if you don't think that's possible... You need to dust off your Bible and start reading it again. You can resist the voice of God to the point that he will no longer knock on your heart's door. And if that statement causes you no alarm or no concern, there's a possibility it's too late for you. But if that statement does cause you concern or alarm, then this sermon is for you. Slide 10. Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 through 22, the Living Bible. Jesus speaking. Look, I've been standing at the door, and I am constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with them, and they with me. I will let everyone who conquers sit beside me on my throne. Just as I took my place with the Father on his throne after I had conquered. Let those who can hear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. This verse was not written for unbelievers. This verse was not written for those who have never heard the gospel or received it. This verse is written to Christian who's, Christians who've grown cold in their relationship with their Savior. If that's you, and even if you think you're as righteous as St. Paul, or if you've never made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ, you need to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Let's all stand. Repeat after me. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I have fallen short of your glory. Short of your commandments. Short of your calling on my life. Please forgive all my sins. For I know they are many. Whether intentional or by omission, 
sins I have committed and thought, word, or deed. Lord Jesus, I here declare that you are Lord of my life. Please forgive my apathy toward you, your word, and your people. Father, keep me safe from myself and the devil. Replace my despair with the grace of your comfort. My fear with your courage. The heartache of my failures with your peace. And my discontentment with the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to challenge each of you uh, to make a special effort to be here next week. There's something very important that the Lord has pressed on my heart we need to discuss. Uh, that would be a proposed amendment to the Cumberland Constitution. This, in uh, not just in my opinion, but in the Lord's opinion, is a crossroads. And if it's not, that crossroad is rapidly approaching, and we need to discuss that. We need to have our thinking clear on what's at risk, what's involved, and uh, what our thinking should be regarding so please make every effort to be here next week, and God bless you all. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his home forever together.
Go in peace.